Good morning on this uh, Victoria Day long weekend. Uh, probably a good weekend to ask the question, why is life so busy? You ever asked yourself that question? Maybe somebody you know, said to you, so how are you doing? In response, you said, oh, I wish my day had 32 hours. There's just not enough time to get it all done. In Canada, busyness is seen as a virtue. It's a good thing. And so somebody says, how are you? Oh, life is hectic. How about you? Oh, crazy busy as well. The work never ends. And we just, it's kind of like a badge of honor. We're busy. Some of us grow up in a family or a culture that values busyness. My mother had this saying, um, Monday morning, boys, it's Monday morning. The day after tomorrow is Wednesday and we haven't done a thing yet. Isn't that a great way to wake up on Monday morning? Oh, we're already behind schedule. <laughs> Let's get going. Guilty. <laughs> Apparently, the Chinese uh, character for busyness is a combination of the pictographs for heart and death. Is that true? If it's true, then the message is that busyness leads to death, kills the heart. Anyways, when we live under this cloud of busyness, there's just this nagging anxiety that rests in our souls. We uh, dream about a, a vacation to the tropics, daydream about an early retirement. According to Genesis chapter 1, God creates the cosmos thinking about us. He wants to provide an environment for us where we will thrive, and we're created in His very image. We're created to love Him, to love people that we're created to rule over creation, to care for creation. Is death from overwork God's design for us? Is it what he had in mind? All this busyness. Could it be that God thought about our need for rest when he created the heavens and the earth? Could it be that God thought about our mental, our physical, our emotional, our spiritual needs when he designed all of creation? Genesis chapter 2, second page of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So these verses, they bring the creation account to just a beautiful conclusion. The first phrase there, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. It's a summary statement of the first three days of creation. Day one, God created light. Day two, the skies and the seas. Day three, uh, dry land and vegetation. And then the second phrase, all the host of them, or as some translations read, their vast array on earth were finished, that's a summary statement for everything created on days, from days four through six. God filled the spaces that he had created. And so day four, the luminaries, day five, birds and fish, and day six, of course, land animals and human beings. It's interesting as you read through chapter one that extra attention is given to days three and six. The space provided for human beings to live, and then, of course, the creation of human beings in the very image of God. And then when you get to verses 2 and 3, you read seventh day three times. 
Something is being communicated. And so the pattern of creation is one, two, three, three, four, five, six, six, seven, seven, seven. One, two, three, three, four, five, six, six, seven, 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 seven is the exclamation point. So the creation pattern, it tells us that something very, very special is happening on the seventh day. What happened? I used to read these verses as kind of an appendix to the creation account. Okay, God rested. I'm not sure what he was doing because nothing's really happening. Nothing's moving forward. Why the seventh day? What's the importance of it? Verse 2. God finished his work that he had done. That word finished, it refers to his completed work. Nothing more is needed for the support of human existence. It's all done. It's enough. Second part of verse 2. God finished his work and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. That word rested, it means that he literally that he ceased from work. From that word rested, we get the word Sabbath. The Hebrew, Shabbat, Sabbath. So the question remains... What does it mean for God to rest? Why would he need to rest? If you read through Genesis chapter 1, it seems that he just creates the cosmos effortlessly. He just speaks it into being. I think it's kind of like a musical score. When musicians come to the rest symbol in their musical score, they, they refrain from sounding their instrument for as long as the rest symbol indicates. The pause or the interval, it's not there because the musicians are weary. They just need to stop. They can't keep on going. The music, the rest symbol, it actually has a purpose. It's an integral part of the musical score. So what is God's purpose in resting at the end of this creation account? As we saw last week, humanity is the, is the pinnacle, the apex of God's creation. But Humanity is not the ultimate purpose of God's creation. We're not the center of the story. We're not the conclusion of the story. The ultimate purpose for creation is not that we have an environment to live in, but that God have a resting place in the cosmos. So the significance of day seven, the cosmos is God's resting place. Let me explain this a bit. This week when our preaching team met, Uh, Pastor Willie talked about his deck building experience in Calgary. So he built a deck behind his house and he enjoyed the work that he did. But the purpose of building the deck was so that he would have a place to rest, to relax. That was the purpose. And he looked at what he had built and Willie said, it was very good. What else would he think about his own work? On the seventh day, God rests on his throne. He's ruling over the created order. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. What's being said through the prophet Isaiah? Well, in the ancient Near East, divine rest that was all often associated with temple building. The temple was understood to be the resting place of the divine. What would the first readers have understood when they read this creation account? Well, God has created the cosmos, and it is to be his very good temple, his 
resting place. Yeah, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creative work, is the apex of creation, created in God's very image. But men and women, human beings, they're not at the center. They're not the conclusion of the story. Only one person is at the center, God. He is the only one who is the great I am. And so just a side note here. Whenever we are self-centered, we are going against the created order. Whenever we're thinking about ourselves much more than we think about God or other people, we're actually harming ourselves and harming those around us. We were created to look Godward and to love those around us. Self-centeredness goes against the image of God in us. The chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. No human being was ever created to be at the center of the cosmos. So, in summary, on the seventh day, it's not just an appendix to the creation account. It's not like we read it and say, oh yeah, God rested, uh, not sure why. Anyways, let's just get on to the human story in chapter two, because that's what matters. No. God's purpose for the created order, for the cosmos, is that it be his resting place, his dwelling place. And then, in verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Interesting, the seventh day is the first thing that God sets apart in all of his creation. He doesn't sanctify a physical temple. He establishes Sabbath. So the the Sabbath is a sacred reminder of God and his glory. It's a sacred reminder of God and his glory. And we, as human beings created in his image, we are to follow his pattern of labor and rest. It's part of the created order. If we follow this pattern, we will be blessed, we'll be favored, we will be empowered. Here's the command to Israel, and it's rooted in the creation. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I think too often Sabbath is like Victoria Day for us. How many of you are thinking about Queen Victoria today? (laughs) Honestly, raise your hands. How many of you gave a lot of thought to Queen Victoria today? Probably not too many of you. It's not that we shouldn't remember our history, but if we're honest, we probably aren't thinking about her a whole lot. I live in New Westminster. New Westminster founded in 1859. The first name of New Westminster was Queensborough. But the queen, Queen Victoria, didn't like that name, so she renamed it New Westminster. Our capital in British Columbia, named after Queen Victoria. She was born on May 24, 1819. So when she was monarch over the British Empire, it was custom to have a day of celebration on the birthday of the monarch. And eventually, Canada, as one of the colonies of the British uh, Empire, began to celebrate Victoria Day. It became the, the first Monday before May 24th, May 25th, sorry. So here we are celebrating Victoria Day weekend. 
And we should remember our history, but most often we don't. And so, well, let's just make Victoria Day weekend whatever we want it to be. Let's make it um, the unofficial beginning of summer. Let's plant our gardens. Let's go open the summer cottage. You see, if we don't remember Queen Victoria, we don't have a connection with her, we don't even remember her history, Victoria Day weekend will become meaningless. And sometimes I think that Sabbath is kind of like Victoria Day weekend. And we need to remember why God established Sabbath. Here are seven Sabbath reminders. First of all, God completes his work. God completes his work. Just as God completed his work in creation, he's going to complete his work in human history with the return of Jesus. Just as Jesus came and completed his work and on the cross said, it is finished, God is going to complete his work in us. We were created in his image and God will restore us to his image through Jesus. Philippians 1 verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we can celebrate, we can rest and remember that God will get it done. No need to fret. Secondly, God's on the throne. God's sovereign over the whole cosmos. He has all things in his hands and we as his representatives on earth can rest. God's at the helm. Thirdly, God cares for us. The message from, at creation from the Lord is not this. Okay, I did my part. I created all things. I'm going to rest. Now it's up to you. It's all in your hands. Go for it. It's not what God says. God cares for us. He cares for his world. He cares for all people. If you go back to Exodus chapter 20, he, he cares for the men, the women, the old, the young. He cares for the servants. He cares for even the livestock. Every breath depends on him. God knows that, and so we can rest. Even while he's, we sleep, he's caring for us. While we sleep, he works according to the psalmist. We are his beloved sons and daughters, so we can rest. We can trust him. Wayne Muller wrote this in his book on the Sabbath. Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we are finished, our emails, our projects, we will never stop. Because our work is never completely done. Isn't that true? We're never done. There's always more. And when we just keep on working, we're easily seduced by the messages of our day. A number of years ago, Judy and I were in Mexico, and um, we went to this timeshare presentation. Um, Timeshare is an opportunity for an ongoing global vacation experience. So what was the message we heard? I was so stunned by it, I wrote it down. First of all, Ray and Judy, this is going to change your life. And I asked myself, well, does my life really need to be changed? But anyways, this is going to change your life. This timeshare offers an unparalleled opportunity for meaningful relationships. It is the best financial investment you could make. You must do this for yourself and for your children and your grandchildren. We offer you perpetuity. In other words, this is forever. And I turned to Judy and I said, wow, we just heard the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? When we don't observe Sabbath, we don't stop to reflect a bit about the flow of life and who God is and what he has gifted us with. We can even be seduced by that kind of a gospel. 
We can be drawn into it, thinking that, okay, a timeshare is actually going to give me the rest that I need when the only one that can truly give us rest is God. So, we take a Sabbath to remember that God truly cares for us. And then God has established a rhythm. It's, it's knit into the created order. There's a pattern established during the first days of creation. People have experimented with this throughout history. For example, a couple of social experiments. The French Republicans, they uh, wanted to de-Christianize French society and at the same time increase productivity. So they altered their calendar. They made the 30-day month into three 10-day weeks. People would work for nine consecutive days and then rest on the 10th. This experiment was done from 1793 to 1805. Uh, in the Soviet Union as well, the, the Russians, from 1929 to 1940, they did something more favorable, apparently, uh, five and six-day weeks with rotating days off. But both of these social experiments were abandoned. Why? Because instead of increasing productivity, the productivity actually diminished. Juan Carlos Lerman, he's a professor at the University of Arizona, and through his research, he's shown that we actually have a biological need for rest every seventh day. It's just woven into our fabric. And according to his theory, if we fail to rest after six days of steady work, we're actually more vulnerable to insomnia, hormonal imbalances, fatigue, irritability, organ stress, other physical and mental symptoms. So if you're feeling any of that, take a Sabbath. You see, when we set apart a day to God, we observe the design of creation, the way that God has made things to be. Ken Shigematsu, the pastor at uh, 10th Church, has written this. Woven into the very fabric of our beings is a need for regular rest and recovery. God calls us to honor his design for us by living in sync with the gift of Sabbath rest. When we violate this rhythm, we harm ourselves. So when have you and I recently taken 24 hours off to rest? When was the last time we actually disconnected from all of our electronic gadgets for a Sabbath? I'm preaching to myself right now. When was the last time we took this created order seriously? You see, Sabbath, it's a reset button for disciples of Jesus, a time to turn away from ourselves and the demands of the world and to regain God's perspective, to ask the question, okay, why am I so busy? What's actually driving me? Am I trying to validate my existence through my work? Validate myself before my own you know, soul and the thinking of others? What is it that drives me? God has established a rhythm. And then fifthly, God has set us free. This is so clear in Deuteronomy where the commandment to observe the Sabbath is repeated. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, the people of Israel, they had been slaves in the land of Egypt. And now they had been set free. They had been forced to work. Now they could actually rest. 
And as disciples of Jesus, we're called into rest because we have been set free from the power of sin, death, and the evil one. Jesus actually invites us into rest. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus invites us into rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has set us free. We can rest. Sixth, God is the Lord of time. So often I think about time as a burden, as a constraint. I don't have enough of it, but time is actually God's gift to us. So if we acknowledge that God is the Lord of time, we can set apart, we can set aside the urgent and just rest in God's sovereignty, his goodness. Celebrate time as a gift rather than live under the cloud of busyness. The seventh day, it sanctifies time. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine in Sao Paulo some years ago. He was a professor at uh, a school of economics and business, Getulio Vargas. And then he had another full-time job. Uh, He worked for the Brazilian version of uh, Canada Revenue. And he said to me, he said, Ray, when people come to me for help, I would much rather just sign a check than give an hour of my time. So much easier to sign a check than to give some time to a person in need. Why? Because time is often our most precious commodity. So easy to give a little bit of money rather than actually give time to a person or to a community. Abraham Heschel, a Jewish author, writes this in his book on the Sabbath. Technical civilization is man's conquest of space. It is a triumph frequently achieved by sacrificing an essential ingredient of existence, namely time. In technical civilization, we expend time to gain space. To enhance our power in the world of space is our main objective. Yet to have more does not mean to be more. The power we attain in the world of space terminates abruptly at the borderline of time. But time is the heart of existence. You may be working really hard and you may have more, but that doesn't mean that you will be more (laughs) or that I will be more. If we acknowledge that God is the Lord of time, we can rest. We will never get it all done, but God will get it all done. Even in the work of the church, the work never ends. There are always more people to share the gospel with, more people to pray for, more people to care for, new things to do in the mission of the church. It just never stops unless we take a Sabbath. And when we take Sabbath, we remember that it's God's world, that it's God's mission. Actually, the church, it's his people. It's his plan. He's going to accomplish his purposes in his time. He will get it done. And when we take a Sabbath, we remember that. Then seventh, God is our hope. God is our hope. Did you notice in reading through these verses on the seventh day that there is no evening followed by morning refrain? Many conclude that the seventh day continues. What does that mean? And they base this on Psalm 95 and Hebrews chapter 4, other passages in Scripture. From an earthly perspective, the seventh day began with the creation of Adam and Eve. 
And the seventh day continues throughout history to a future time when God will fully accomplish all of his purposes. And so when we celebrate Sabbath, we remember that we as human beings, we were created for the Garden of Eden to rest in God's presence. We remember that we're on the way to the heavenly Eden when we will rest in God's presence forever. And when we take a Sabbath and rest, we taste Eden today. Why were the people of Israel unable to enter into the Sabbath rest that God had for them? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19 is really clear. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They just didn't believe God to be God. They didn't trust him. They didn't hope in him. They thought it all depended on them. So if we're going to keep the Sabbath, what should we do? You know, when I was a young boy and I thought about Sabbath, I often thought about the nose of Sabbath. There were certain things we couldn't do, like watch TV. No TV, no housework. I was happy about that. No yard work, really happy about that. If you lived on a farm, no unnecessary farm work. You could milk the cows, but no unnecessary farm work. That was all good. No restaurants, because that would make other people work. Don't wake up mom and dad, because they really need a nap. And my dad worked really hard. He needed a nap. And no organized sports. But we could play ball hockey on the streets, and so we did a lot of that. And we didn't complain about it, we didn't ask any questions about it, because we thought that if they actually thought about it, they might ban ball hockey on, the, on Sundays as well. But, you know, the no's, the rules and the regulations, even though they may have a good intent, we have to get beyond them. Because they can take the joy out of Sabbath. If we're forced to observe Sabbath... It fails to serve its, its function. There's no delight in it. It's just a duty. It's just a bunch of no's. Sabbath is more much, much more about saying yes to something or to someone. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. So what are seven good Sabbath habits? Seven good Sabbath habits. To experience Sabbath, we truly need to experience rest. It's not enough just to take a day off. For example, when we sleep, it's not enough just to sleep. We need quality sleep. We need REM sleep, that rapid eye movement sleep, deeper sleep, in order to feel truly rested. And I've got a Fitbit to monitor how well I sleep. Last night, not too bad. Not that much REM sleep. In the same way, we need to monitor what truly brings rest to our souls on a Sabbath. For example, I love hockey. I'm watching the NHL playoffs. But watching a hockey game actually doesn't restore me. I may actually even feel worse after the hockey game is over because my team lost. It doesn't restore me, even though it's a lot of fun. We experience rest when we reorient our lives around Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good shepherd who came to give us, offer us abundant life. So, one of the most wonderful ways to experience Sabbath is corporate worship, what we're doing here this weekend. 
So often in life, we're not, you know, we've gone through six hard days, and we're not even sure what to think anymore. We have gone through difficulties. We, we aren't even sure what to pray, what to sing. And we come together, and we worship, and we pray, and we hear the word, and we're restored. The perfect Sabbath is when we think less about ourselves and think more about God. We remember him. Individual spiritual disciplines. The three that restore me the most are just slowly reading the word of God, phrase by phrase, meditating on it, lingering in prayer, singing praises. Those are the three things that truly restore me on a Sabbath. Enjoy creation, number three. Go for a walk. Go for a run. Go sailing. If you have a motorcycle, ride it. Whatever encourages you to rest and stand in awe of God. Fourth, enjoy community. Spend time with good friends. We're made to live in community, to love one another, have conversation about God, about life. Five, enjoy food, good food. Food is God's gift to us. There's no better way to build family, to build community than to eat together. Our international language fellowships are really good at this, eating together, enjoying one another. If you've never lingered after the third service here, just linger a bit and find a room. There's food around here. Fifth, if you're a student, take a break from your studies. Take a break. No one was created to study 24-7 for seven days straight, on and on. We're not wired to do that. I found in university, that's when I started taking a Sabbath, I found that, uh, you know, you, you're studying, sometimes you're working as well. If I knew that a Sabbath was on the horizon, I was just filled with joy. Because I knew that a good day was coming. And then after taking that day, that Sabbath rest, I would enter into my study week with more focus, with more energy, and I was a lot more productive. So if you are a student, take a break. Take a Sabbath. And then seventh, do what brings you joy. For some, it's painting. For others, it's, it's uh, playing music, um, reading. Celebrate God and the gift of life. Do what truly brings you joy. The Lord created Sabbath so that he might find a resting place in his created world. Settle in to the cosmos that he had made. And so that he might find a resting place in our souls. We were created to work, yes, but also to rest in God. When we take a Sabbath, we remember that we were created for the Garden of Eden. In a few weeks, we'll be talking about the fall of humanity. We are fallen creatures, but we live toward the heavenly Eden. And each time we take a Sabbath, we rest. We taste eternity. We taste Eden. We were created for it. Why would we not take a Sabbath? Why would we not observe the created order? Why would we live in a way that God has not designed us to live? Whenever we break the created pattern, we harm ourselves individually, as families, as a society. So think about this. What do you need to say no to? And more importantly, 
what do you need to say yes to to experience Sabbath today, this week? One of the things that truly brings us joy today is our international uh, family. And uh, we're going to watch a video, and then some people are going to come up here. Let's watch the video. around at the people worshiping with you today. Even a quick glance reveals that we are a church family with people from many different cultures and language groups. We like to think of it as a glimpse of what heaven will be like. According to Revelation 7, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. It would be easy for us to stay in our comfort zone and to use our culture and language differences as an excuse. Our International Language Ministries seeks to actively help our wonderfully diverse church family to re-culture. Rather than staying in our own cultures and asking others to fit in, Christ asks us to live as one family, His family. We want to rethink how we listen and learn the benefits our different cultures bring to our church family. We want to redefine what normal looks like to represent God's diverse family. And we want to follow Jesus as He teaches us how to reinvent community. Each weekend, our services are simultaneously translated into multiple languages. These translated sermons reach beyond our church as people tune in through the website. To help ease language barriers, various language groups meet for fellowship, discipleship, Bible studies, and classes. Russian, Mandarin, Cantonese, Spanish, Korean, Romanian, Filipino, French, Japanese, Portuguese, the list keeps growing. We invite you to stop by the international festival happening this weekend in the chapel and take in one of the unique cultural presentations and try some of the international snacks. Have a conversation with someone from a different culture and experience your uniquely blended family. Well, these... Um yeah. These men and women up here are dressed much better than I am, much better looking, better looking than I am. So this is a beautiful sight to see people from around the world. And we're part of one family. By God's grace, God has brought us together to be one in Him. Um, I think the last time we counted, there are people from 79 different nations here at Willingdon, and of course, ministry in 10 different languages. This is a gift. Um, the book of Revelation talks about us moving toward that heavenly Eden and people worshiping Jesus uh, in every language, people from every people group, every nation. So we get to taste that. A bit of a, this is a foretaste of what we will experience forever in the presence of God. As I thought about this morning, I was reminded of Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then a little later, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. 
and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So hallelujah. That's where we're going. That's what we just taste today as we celebrate being this wonderful family that God has woven together. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your goodness to us. You are reigning over all things today, reigning over this nation, reigning over every nation. You are sovereign. And it's so good to live under your care. God, I pray that as your people that we would rest in you. I pray that we would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit, the call to rest, to sit in your presence, to sit before you, Jesus, as Mary did, to sit at your feet and hear from you and be restored by you, by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you're present to strengthen us, encourage us, correct us, equip us, renew us. I thank you that you have made us one by your spirit. May we make every effort to maintain the unity that you have gifted us with. I thank you, Lord, for each uh, language group, each ethnicity represented here at Willingdon. Thank you for the leaders of the international language ministries. Thank you for their faithfulness. Oh, God, may they be strengthened by you. May they be filled with joy and hope and, and vision. Thank you for the many that have been ministered to through the International Language Fellowships. What a gift. And so we are grateful. And we give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, before you go home and enjoy the rest of your weekend, head over to the chapel. There's music, there's dance, there's food. Good time. A party over there. Follow these people in that direction. Bless you. Have a great weekend.